And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the Sixers 127 to 116 loss to the New Orleans Pelicans and some of the disturbing trends that we've seen of late. We then talk about some of the storylines that we're most interested in in 2023 before finishing off with a couple of questions from the listener mailbag. Enjoy the podcast and happy new year. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Hey, doing, Rich? One final chat here in 2022. Derek, I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm uh, I'm excited to get this going, and I'm excited we're not doing this tomorrow morning. <laughs> yes. So I guess just as a disclaimer uh, for when you listen to this, when this was recorded, this was recorded here on Saturday afternoon before the Sixers finished off their 2022 schedule against the Thunder. We're recording it after the game against the Pelicans because Rich and I are not competitors enough to have a flu game, basically. Um, we are not uh, going to be able to do that. So rather than give you a mediocre pod tomorrow, we are going to do a mediocre pod today, but when we're less hungover. That's a tough draw for an NBA team, by the way, <laughs> yes. to be in Oklahoma City on New Year's. Yes. I, I wonder if Harden might have a private jet that might take him down to houston <laughs> after the game that's that's houston, not too vegas far. so he's going somewhere yep definitely going somewhere <laughs> uh, i would not be uh, spending my new year's if i had that kind of money i would not be spending my new year's in okc and they're coming back their next game's in philly right philly on monday yeah quick yeah. turnaround so yeah that could be a it could be a doozy performance if uh <laughs> if there is some jet setting well being i done. mean since their 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 bar for their defense being so low in the first half, it would be almost tough to eclipse that one. So I guess that's sort of where, where we'll start off this pod. Even though by the time you listen to this, it might be outdated by a game. That loss there to the Pelicans, the 127 to 116 loss, which was just, you know, there's that, that famous quote, that Godfather quote, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. This team's the inverse of that. Just when yep. you think you're back in, they push you back out, man. It is something else. And we just had a podcast not too long ago where we talked about, hey, that loss of the Wizards. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it revealed some disturbing trends. It's only one game. Well, now it's two. And if we're being honest, it's four games in a row where that trend has started with that disastrous first half defense that put them into a hole. Two of those games, including one of them in real impressive fashion against the Clippers, they were able to dig themselves out of that hole. Two of them here over the last couple of days, they have not. What the hell's going on? Yeah, I mean, that's why you don't lose to the Wizards, because <laughs> a more understandable loss to the Pelicans is likely coming yeah. after that. Uh, yeah, so they're not guarding, man. I mean, like, that game against the Pelicans, that was their worst defensive performance of the entire season. Now... I find it a little more understandable than getting their ass kicked by the Wizards. I, I do. Yes. yes. You know why? They have Zion Williamson, who is impossible to guard. He's and you really know who really, you know who really can't guard him? P.J. Tucker. He really can't guard him. But a lot of people can't guard him. Yeah. Well, nobody on the team could guard him. It's not like when Joel got switched on him, they did any better. Nobody. Trez got Trez got switched on to him a couple times and it was a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things too, where he is. I, I really get a kick out of watching him, man. I, I know it can be kind of disjointed and ugly at times, but just the idea of this 280 pound guy. It's funny. We're doing the same thing with the MB. Like what, what is yeah. his actual weight type thing? <laughs> yeah. Whatever this huge guy, not even like really getting by somebody like Trez, but being maybe roughly even with him on a drive and taking off. I don't know. Eight feet from the hoop, 10 feet from the hoop. And just like, that's fine. Like I'm just going to get, to a spot where I can lay the ball in off the glass or finger roll it or do whatever. It's uh 
that's look, that's really hard to guard. And then you also had the the issue of the Jedi three point defense is coming back to life, man. Yeah. It's it's yep. It's starting to revert back to the mean. The Sixers are still, I looked it up today, still getting the uh the most fortunate with uh opponent three point percentage, but it's a lot closer now. And, and I I think there are some people that when we say like, look, man, yeah, they've been the best defense in the league over these last three weeks, but opponents are only shooting 30% from, from deep. I think some people look at that and go, well, that means they're playing good defense. And sometimes it does. A lot of times it means that there are ebbs and flows to the season, and sometimes you get lucky throughout the course of those couple of weeks. Sometimes you don't. A lot of that can drive the narrative because a three-point shot is so important in today's game. And I do, like I, I wrote multiple times over the course of that month or so where they had the best defense in the league, that there are two things true, that they are getting lucky on three-point shooting variants. And also, they're like the shots that they're giving up are better than they were to start the season. But that's in part because the start of the season was a disaster. The sort of end result is they're probably a 5 to 12-ish range defense, not the dominant defense you need them to be. Um, yeah, they're, they're fifth now. So, and I, I would expect that to keep... Dropping. Go, say dropping, better. just because... I don't know. I'm not I'm not really seeing it. And like, look, that game involved a player going absolutely nuts, a good player in CJ McCollum, uh, playing his best game possible. Like I, yeah. you know, I get it. CJ he made it look easy pulling up off the pick and roll. He's a thirty six percent shooter this year. He shoots forty one percent from the field. He's not that good of a shooter. No. Now, was it a little disturbing that the Anthony Melton couldn't get around the screen to save his freaking life against yeah. him? Yeah. Yeah, like the, it was. It's like the one thing he struggles at defensively. And like not struggles like, you know, Furkan Korkman struggles, but like struggles relative to an otherwise excellent defensive player. Who do you think was the worst of all time? I have an answer of that, of getting around the screen. Seth? Tyrese Seth was pretty bad, especially like his first two years. Tyrese was awful. I'm thinking a little bit older. Six a little bit old, like older, like older in the past or older like in their career? Older in the past. Huh. All right, hold on. Not too old. After 2000. Okay. Worst well, I've I mean, ever seen. Iverson was, was a magnet. I think, I think worse than Iverson. Lou? Yes. Lou yeah. just, I mean, he was like Velcro to a screen. He was it trying was, to run into those screens sometimes. Yeah. I'm convinced. He was like, yeah. how can I find the middle part of this guy's body to there, run into Honestly, it? <laughs> there are some players that I think want to run into those screens just so they have an excuse to get off the ball. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too because like the term is getting skinny around a screen, and yeah. of course Lou is the skinniest guy in the world. <laughs> yeah. Lou got Lou got fat, you know, like he was he was bulking up during that and just yeah sticking to those screens. But yeah, Melton, that's not his best uh, attribute, and he you know there was also some frustration. He fouled he fouled somebody on a three shot foul yeah. where he I'm made a sure good- it was. I'm pretty sure it was CJ. Was it CJ? Well, no, I think he stripped CJ and then somebody, maybe like Najee Marshall or somebody picked maybe. it up and, you know, he was just a little too out of control. He got his hand on the ball, but whatever. You had that happen. You had Joel run into Jackson Hayes too. So, you know, a, a lot Joel of things going like He wrong. was like tripping, right? I think he was falling over yeah. or something like that. Yeah, he was like- Even so, half- you can't you can't foul three-point shooters twice in one game. You can't do it. Yeah, and, and they did a ton of, even outside of the two guys- um, going crazy and like cj was incredible i he, he's not gonna do that again <laughs> he's just not like he's he's not that good of a player uh but like look the sixers have benefited from lucky shooting and that happens sometimes so i i guess i'm like of two minds on this i am worried about their defense because it's just been crappy for a while and that wasn't a great response after like the oh we didn't approach the game seriously performance you know like the would have been nicer to uh you know yeah. actually get some stops because their offense was plenty good for most of last night's game. Um, so I'm a, two minds on that. I, I That worries me, but I also can acknowledge like that team is really good and that team is, is hard yeah. to play on the road. And I, they don't even have Ingram back yet, but when those two guys are playing that well, it's, it's going to be hard. And you know, when the, you know, I know the Pelicans cooled off at the very end, but you know, when they're shooting like 57% mid from deep midway through the third quarter, that's, that's a hard game to win. And I understand yeah. that. It reminds me a little bit <clears throat> of the three-game losing streak uh, against the Cavs, Grizzlies, Rockets. That yeah. stretch where you have like a completely understandable one against the Grizzlies, and then one that was really you can't justify against the Rockets. That's sort of like the Wizards are the Rockets analogy here, and the Pelicans are the understandable one against the Grizzlies. I'm with you. Like a single performance, even though there are some things that are 
incredibly frustrating, including that ridiculous lineup with Maxi and Shake, Yang, Tucker, and Harold. You can't have that. Uh, I can't believe they played five straight minutes. It blew my mind when they came into the game. He's been it doing that my for mind weeks. They, He's been doing that for I know a that, but it hasn't been working. <laughs> that lineup is just not going to work. You have a combination of the munchkins in the backcourt, along with a lack of foot speed, a lack of rebounding, a lack of dribbling, a lack of perimeter skills. It's just, I don't, I don't, I don't, it, it frustrates the hell out of me, especially now that you have all four of your big four back. You have enough where you should not have to rely on an all bench unit for five straight minutes when they got outscored by 13 points in those five minutes. Like these are the little things. And there's a lot of things with the players that annoy me because they don't do the little things from the transition defense to the rebounding to the ISO at the end of the game again, which I don't know how this keeps happening, but it does. Well, this is the coaching version of the little things. Like you don't need to give away those five minutes. Now you really don't need to give those minutes away. Uh, and I don't, I, I really thought this was going to be the year. We weren't going to be talking about all bench lineups. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's get into that real quick. Cause that's been a big, uh, sticking point. I'm not sure that hadn't worked for, I think that was survivable during that eight game winning streak. I think the last two games have been a complete disaster. Sure. But survivable against that competition. Like, yeah, maybe you can get away with it against the warriors without Steph or the Pistons, yeah, but like, I don't want you playing that against the, the Pelicans. Yeah. That, that was bad competition. So let's, let's talk through it though. So like, What's the move? Is it just Harden and Embiid on the court at all times? Yeah. One of them? Okay. Do you, do you know what Harden's averaging when Embiid's off the floor? A lot. He's averaging like 30 points per 36 on really good efficiency. And part of the reason that, look, the, one of our questions, we'll get into it, but having that flexibility, have one of those two on the court at all times. I don't think that's like, I don't know why there, what was there, like six minutes with neither of them on the court last night? Shouldn't happen. Not in a competitive game, I don't think. I agree, and I think that's what they need to do moving moving forward. Here's why I think they do it, though. I think they do it because they were good during those couple weeks when all of these guys were out, and they have guys like Shake Milton that they want to keep alive while also keeping Harden and Embiid's minutes down. Now, okay, that's fine. Like, I, I think they need to go back to Harden and Embiid, or Harden and Embiid stagger because, like, especially if you're going to play Trez, like, you, you need to play him with Harden. Uh, that said, okay, like that's fine. Like it's going to be hard and ISO ball, and I think some nights that's not going to work either. I'm just putting that out there. Like I, I sure. get that he's been sure. I don't, but you're also going to have like you know Maxi on the court for some that you can have Shake on the floor with with Harden. It doesn't have to be all well. Hard but by the way, ball. okay, okay, but it, but it is going to be all hard and ISO ball. Sure, like but like that has a better chance of working than that. Like yeah. we spent all summer saying that you should stagger them to the point where there should be a minute on the floor without one of them on the floor. Like this isn't revisionist. The fact that it's not working now. Like we spent all summer talking about this. Yeah, I agree. Like, look, I think that's what they should do moving forward. But I think there was a reason why they did it. And also, like, look, it was exacerbated last night because Maxi was not good because he hasn't yeah. played in forever, which is fine. Like it got better as the game went along, which is cool. Like or whatever. Yeah. Look, I'm with you. The he Doc has tried to buy four minutes. At the end of the first, or at the beginning of the second quarter, uh, end of the first quarter, with the, those units pretty consistently over the past couple of weeks, and I think you just have to get to the point where that can't really be the philosophy anymore. I think you just you got to have Embiid or uh, or Harden, and I, you know what, I, I'm not even going to kill him for the intentions, honestly, because I kind of wanted to see Shake cook for a couple minutes. Like it shouldn't be like, I'm sorry, like four minutes should not be like a fucking disaster if if you don't have these guys on the court, but. Look, it has gotten to that point, and it is a big reason they lost the last two games. So, so you should like do it. A, a big part of I'm fine with letting Shake cook because I agree with you on some extent, but I don't think that front court was. I think that front court was as big of my problem as not having Harden on there. I don't like that front court pairing almost at all. And I think if you're gonna, you can let Shake cook a little bit while playing him alongside Joel Embiid. Like it doesn't letting Shake cook just means James Harden's not on the floor really. Yeah, that's what it means. Uh, yeah, no, look, that's fair. Um, it's a bad defensive front court. It's and a bad defensive front court with Zion. Now that said, they did put Tucker on the court for a lot of those minutes in last night's game. They were trying to match it. Did that no. help? No, yeah. <laughs> no, it did not. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're back to look it, as bad as they've played, and, and as much as I am, uh, I wouldn't even say pushing back, but just because I do agree, I think you got to go with Harden the whole way. Just trying, trying to see the logic through it. I get it. Yeah. Um, as much as I've said this, you know, 
like as bad as they've been in so many aspects over the past couple of games, like if those lineups have their shit together for those four minutes, they probably win those two games, you know? Yeah, that's annoying. Uh, it's just one I, of those things I, where I think you can get away with it against crappy competition, but when you get into the, you know, the good part of your schedule, I think you got to adjust. That's fair. And the Pelicans are, are definitely, they, they represent a higher level of team. Good. Than, uh, and the shooting and the athleticism and the transition, like, I think all of that. They're good. They're fun to watch. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I think I think you have to get back to, to letting Harden cook. Because I, I do agree, though. Like, I, I think there are going to be some bad nights where, where it just looks ugly and Harden is running into Jackson Hayes uh, 40 times. That said, like, I think when he knows he wants to score and he knows, like, okay, I'm hunting mismatches and getting those step backs, I feel like he's played better this year with those, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. uh yeah, and there's you're right. There is a level of just I don't know, like offensive organization that he kind of has that that Maxi does not at this point. Yeah, and this is we're gonna do a little bit of mailbag here later in the podcast. So there is a question almost directly related to this, so I don't want to get too deep into this right now. But yeah, anything else? Sure. Like, I mean, I guess my other take from that game is that is about as good as Joe can play offensively for three quarters. And then he completely ran out of gas at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, but like he made that one mid range jumper. Uh, and then he, a went cold and B kept going back and back and back to it. Yeah. And you know, again, it turns into the ISO ball at the end of the games, which look, their, their ISOs have been efficient this year. There's no doubt. And honestly, their offense wasn't the problem last night, but yeah, it's, it's a little tough to see, you know, the Pelicans, run Spain pick and roll and get Zion, you know, dunks and shit like that. And, you know, the Sixers, Joel, having to work really hard to to score against Valanchunas. Now, that said, he was incredible in doing so in the yeah. third quarter. But it's also just like, that was the other thing about watching CJ Cook in that game. You're like, oh, my God, Joel is playing so good, whether, you know, whether they're isoing him at the elbow or, like, the amount of hockey assists he had and that he created with a double in the post, and the Sixers did a really good job getting the ball to the opposite corner for threes, which they made, you know, at a decent clip, I would say. Uh, it was incredible, but then he had to step up against CJ on the other end because Melton wasn't yeah. getting around screens, and it's just like, that's a tough um, yep, tough ass for him. But he was, I mean, he was really good for most of the game, so I don't really have too much uh, negative to say about him. And in the first half, I thought he was a little too deep on his drop, which is something that, you know, that's their base scheme. They sort of do that. And the player gets hot in CJ. They came out in the second half, and I thought he was a little too aggressive. And he had a couple there where he was out there at the three-point line before CJ even took a couple dribbles. CJ ended up just denying the screen, having an easy lane, so he was a little too aggressive there. I thought he found a good distance later on there in the third quarter, and for most of the fourth, their defense finally got a little bit back on track, but then their offense went cold for the first time really all night. Because, like you said, they had a pretty good overall they had a pretty good offensive night. It was amazing going back and watching it. Like they scored 33 points on 62% shooting in the second quarter and lost ground because their defense was that bad because they're, well, I say their offense was good for most of the night with the exception of the turnovers. And really when I say that, I mean, you know, one person, um, it was mm -hmm. really just hard, not just Harden. It was primarily Harden and Embiid with those turnovers, including some real head scratchers from James. But outside of that, when they weren't turning the ball over, their offense was pretty good. But, New Orleans was out in transition all night. CJ was hot from the perimeter. Yada yada yada. They gave up big points. And I, crooked you know, numbers. I, I don't have the yeah, a lot of crooked numbers. I don't have the the shots in front of me. I I bet you McCollum made four transition threes too yeah, off Sixers sure. turnovers at least. Sure. So it wasn't just all Melton screw, getting screwed up. And yeah, it's a weird game from Harden because he shot it really well. But you know, like I said, like. Running into Jackson Hayes and ISO, it's not yeah. the greatest looking thing in the world. No. He even made a three when that happened, and I was yeah. like, "Man, that's still a discouraging yeah. position." Like, you yeah. just like amazing shot, but like, uh, I, I mean, we're know. gonna we're gonna keep saying it like we did last year, like just switch. And when we get to the playoffs, I think more and more we're gonna see it happening. Is why part of the reason why I'm not convinced that this version of Harden is gonna have a lot of success, offensive success in the playoffs. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's clear. I was tweeting it because it was just, I don't know, it was so obvious to me. That's my no, I was my I was watching. I, I, I saw it because I, you know, I have a lot of the Sixers reporters on notifications. Uh, I was not watching the game live last night. I went back and rewatched it this morning. I'm like, oh, I paused it. I'm like, I got to the exact spot where you sent that tweet. I know exactly when you sent it because he, like, it's not like he didn't try. Like he put on a, a dribbling display and he got nowhere. 
That's no. my version of, of rage tweeting in 2022. But it was just, yeah, it's like, ah, this is not working that good right now. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think really, unless it's with Embiid, which, again, like it should be with Embiid a lot. I get why teams don't switch that because they get pretty ugly. You get a lot of fouls on you real quick. Um, but if it's anybody else, yeah. that's uh, And, yeah, it was it was a combination for Harden of, of head scratchers, which I'm not too worried about because he's – a very smart passer. I don't think he's going to have too many head scratchers. Yeah. There's just also, a lot of real lazy, just he didn't see that there was a defender there or that they were that length or could cover up that much ground. And he's, he doesn't usually make those mistakes. But then there were a couple where, you know, they're the turnovers where he's trying too hard to isolate. And he, you know, they turn into live ball turnovers because he can't really get by somebody and he overextends himself. And that, that happens sometimes too. And that's not a, those typically end up as points because, you know, it ends up with like him falling down and he's one of the people who should be getting back on defense. And, you know, that's fun. Uh, also, one, one other note, just because I, you know, I thought Maxi got better as the game went along. Not worried yeah. about him. Uh, I did think it was fun. I mean, having to play against Alvarado is uh, like the most annoying guy in the league. Like faster TJ McConnell is uh, I'm taller. Yeah, it's uh, it's not the best. It's no. not the best way well, to start. It really didn't. Uh, James struggled with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, he gets up on your chest and flops, and then, yeah, he's a very annoying player. But you know what? He's he's carved a niche out on that. Huh, so. He's only six foot. I thought he was thought he was a couple inches taller than that. How, how tall is TJ? Uh, TJ was about yeah, TJ six, might too. have an inch. I think him, he yeah. was listed at six one, but, you know. Okay. Yeah, no, and then there's that, that one play where he, he, I think it was with Alvarado, where James made one of the really bad passes. Alvarado got out in transition. And then that was the one where after the inbounds, Harden pushed off with his elbow. But what was also missing that is that Harden was going half speed in transition defense, pretty much from half court. And Alvarado sort of had to slow up a little bit to gather his dribble. Harden was really, you know, really busting his ass to get back in transition. He might've been able to get there, but it drives me insane. It drives me insane. His transition defense really, really does. It's those kind of habits that like he gave up I think at some point in his career, he realized, look, I'm averaging 35 a night. I'm this team's entire offense. I need to conserve my energy. And maybe back then it was justified. Well, now that you're not, now that you're running second field to Embiid, I get it's probably tough to break those habits, but who do they piss me off? <laughs> they are really frustrating. They're really frustrating. All right, let's, let's end the, the string of positivity here. <laughs> All right. So real quick, uh, just give me one thing you're looking forward to in 2023. Like positively looking forward anything, to anything, anything. Mine's a combination of both. I'll, I'll go. What with are the... you interested in watching? Oh, what am I interested? Well, in Well, take it any way you want. I don't give a shit. I'll go with the positive because we just were, you know, Debbie Downers for five minutes there. 10 minutes, probably. Uh, I am looking forward and this is, I know this is a hot take. I am looking forward to watching Joel Embiid continue to play basketball. Uh, I think we take it, it would what? be great to just see him go through a playoff run healthy. That is one like I am looking forward to just the chance that that might happen. And look, I get everyone listening is probably going, "Well, it's never going to happen." I don't know. Maybe if he doesn't get elbowed in the eye socket, it might happen. Um, but I am looking forward to another year of just having a chance to see whether or not he could be healthy for an entire playoff run just to see whether he has evolved enough with his game that he can succeed in the playoffs if he doesn't have a concussion and blurred vision. That's all I want to see. Have they thought about, on that point, have they thought about just, like, putting a bunch of pads on him to start the <laughs> yeah. playoffs? Just, like, maybe test it in April, you know? Like, maybe they have the seed locked up, and, you know, maybe have him play with, like, some catcher's equipment on or something or, like that. Or maybe don't play him 38 minutes per game in December. Mm. Not that, you know, not that last year he got elbowed in the eye or anything in December. And that's why, of course. But, you know, he has had wear and tear injuries in the past. Maybe a little less wear. I don't know. Um, the, the, the amount of minutes these guys. Harden played 39 in December. It's too much. We just, your own Weitzman had a, a piece a couple of weeks ago where someone within the Rockets organization was quoted as saying that Harden was out of gas at the end of the year. He wasn't choking. He was just out of gas. Don't play him 39 minutes per game. And I, I get it's tough because Harden has played 37 plus minutes per game every year in his career. You're not 26 anymore, James. Like I, somebody, I wish, I wish they could just rein this in a little bit. Keep him in the mid thirties. That'd be great. That would be great. You, you are looking for much more 
of a strict stagger with Joe Ellen. Yes. Okay. That's fair. That's uh, well, I'm just looking to manage their, their workload a little bit too. Yeah. While no, keeping, I'd look, I, while I get keeping the, one of them on the floor at all times too. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Um, no, I just, I, I understand that's asking too much. And like I said, Embiid's injuries last year were flukes that happened in the playoffs. They weren't going to be avoided by decreasing their minutes, but I would like to keep these guys fresh too. Yeah. So yeah, that, that is a big part of it. The playoffs. Uh, and just like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we take it for granted. Like he had 35 points midway or, you know, at the end of his third quarter shift, whenever that was, I don't know if he played the entire third. I think he did. Uh, that's crazy. And that was against a good team with, you know, one of the kind of the big guys that yeah. I would say has kind of given him more trouble than, you know, Valanchunas would like normally give a player trouble. Yep. Uh, didn't matter. He just completely smoked him. It's, uh, no, it's insane remember, to watch. I remember a popular stance back when the, the, <laughs> when the Raptors acquired Marcus Gasol was that, do they even really need that? Like Valanchunas plays him pretty well. Well, it turns out it might've won them a championship. So yeah, they, you know, made the right call there, but it was, uh, he was, he's definitely one of the people who plays Joel surprisingly well. Yeah. And it didn't, it didn't remotely matter. Didn't matter. Uh, and you know, as, as much as the ISOs can bother me at times when they just don't go in, I really do think like he sees the floor really well. And that's a, uh, it's an impressive thing. And it's like, like you said too, can he make it through a playoff run? Because they have a guy playing at the, in my opinion, at the level you need. Your yeah. guy to play. Yep. I like. I I understand he has never freaking done it, and really, he hasn't really come close. If we're if we're being honest, like in terms of getting a team to the finals, but I think he is in the conversation. Like he, you know, if if you need to have this much equity as a player to get you even on the lot to uh, yeah. to have a chance to yep. win the championship, I think he's driving you on that lot. Uh, but he's got to do it, and yeah, I'm just excited. You know, he he continues to get better and better. So that's that would be the positive. On the, uh, I would say it's more of the interest real, level. Real quick on that point, that's part of the reason I, I get why some fans are checked out here in the regular season. When the playoffs start and you have Joel Embiid, I can never be checked out on this team because, to your point, he is one of those players where if things break right, he is playing at that level right now where anything can happen, and it's part of why the rest of this team frustrates me so part of why the coach frustrates me so part of why the fluke injuries in the playoffs frustrates me so much but i just i like i said i want to see one run in the playoffs where he's healthy just so we can gauge has he developed enough to where he can change that narrative because i think i think he could be different as long as he's not wearing a mask and have a broken thumb i'm telling you where the mask to start where the catcher's (laughs) mask to start okay and then when the competition gets good take it off and be yourself sure no, maybe wear it. Honestly, like they can't poke <laughs> you in the eye anymore. Okay, you you go ahead with what you uh, most interests you because I think it's what I was about to say. Second, I'd actually be a little bit surprised. My my what I what I'm interested in is I think at some point this year the narrative is changing or the status quo is changing. And what I mean by that is one of two things: either they get out of the second round, at which case we can stop talking about oh it'll never happen in the playoffs. Oh, what we're seeing here doesn't matter because they're going to fail in the playoffs. Or I think there's going to be significant changes. Now, to be clear, I'm not like this isn't sourcing. This is just sort of me speculating based on the history of the of the league and all that. But I would be surprised if they get bounced in the second round if you don't see pretty significant changes. And we can read between the lines of what I'm talking about there. Obvious one is the coach. I don't think you get three straight second round exits with an MVP caliber player and a chance to go for a fourth. I would be surprised if that happens. And again, that's 100% speculation. I want to be clear on that, but I think either one of two things happens, either you get the conference finals or we have a pretty significant change. I'm sick of being in the spot where we have to go, yeah, that was a good win the other night, but who fucking cares? They won't do anything in the playoffs. Like, it's getting old. It's getting really, like that that movie is played out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure I could, Completely agree with that because I'm not sure any changes will get them. I, I think it'll be wow, that was a bad loss the other night, and now they can't do anything in the playoffs because we know it. Okay, yeah, uh, that's fair. So when you say significant changes, though, uh, Joel was one just because I'm more positive than I, I think he's two. Honestly, in terms of interest level, uh, the coach was three because I don't think that is a significant change. I think that is the more that's obviously the likely one. Okay. Completely agree with what you said. Again, yeah, no no reporting on this, but you don't get three chances and flame out in the second round. You don't. Uh, 
And I think that's that's fair. But is that actually a significant change? Because my number one is the more significant change. I mean, you're going to go to Harden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I, I mean, am. I'm very interested in what happens there in the summer. No, Harden is a more significant change for sure. For sure. Um, I also think the less likely one. I think it's more likely if they don't advance beyond the second round, I think it's more likely Harden is back than Doc. Do you agree? Disagree? If they don't advance in the second round, Harden, it's likelier that, yeah. yeah. And by the way, I think, I'm not saying that is even right or wrong, because we'll have plenty of time to get into that Harden contract. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think Harden is likelier to stay than Doc for pretty much any scenario, right? But I, I yeah. obviously, I think uh, there's certainly some wiggle room there, which is much more interesting, because, you know. I don't really care about the guy. I, you know, as much as we talk about his rotations, I don't really care about, you know, who's calling the plays and stuff like that. Hey, it'll be good because other, you know, people will have somebody else to, uh, to nitpick every night. And, and look, I, by the way, like if doc doesn't get out of the second round again, like he should get fired. I, you know, that's, I think that's completely fair. You know, you get three, three chances with a really good team. That's, that's enough. Especially Uh, when one of the second round losses was, you were a really key part of, Really key part of it. Yep. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously, but even, even if it's a second round loss where he's like, not really the key part, like almost like last year, you know, where I, I don't really think that series was on him as much. Uh, so what, you know, you get three chances, you, that's it. Uh, but Harden is the more interesting yeah. one to me. Just how does he look? You know, like can he find a way to win with this like junk ball approach that he has? Like, cause I mean, that's a really perfect way of describing this game right now. Yeah. I mean, very I pretty it, junk ball, but I said it last year, man, it's like Jamie Moyer, which is yeah. not great when you're paying him, you know, and you're relying on him at that level. He's that's it. his way into some buckets, but it's not always pretty. Yeah, he is. And I, look, I, I think that step back three, it's, it's, if he, if he hits it for the right three weeks in the playoffs, like I, I really do think it could be yeah. a major problem for other teams. Um, and his passing is, I like, I love it. I really do. Yeah. But like we talked about, like, does he have the burst? Uh, not really. No, no. I, I think, I think this is just, you know, regardless of how much his hamstring was bothering him, I, I would be surprised. I get it. There's probably some games where the hammy's feeling a little better. Maybe he, he's a little bit more up to play those games, he is not getting back to no. 2019 level. Like, he's just not. Nope. I agree. I agree. All right. Let's move on to a couple of mailbag questions, and then we will wrap up 2022. Can you give us a quick rundown on the assets the Sixers have, picks, trade exceptions, who can be aggregated in a trade? Take it away. Hold on. I didn't, I didn't pull up all my notes. I should have asked that one first. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. So the Sixers owe their 2023 first-round pick unprotected to Brooklyn. They owe a 2025 first-round pick to Oklahoma City. That is top six protected. And they also owe their 2027 first-round pick to Brooklyn. That pick is top eight protected. So they have a first-round pick in 2024 and 2026 as well as 2028. They cannot currently trade any of them. Although I think next offseason, they will be able to trade 2028 at that point because there's a window of what you can trade. I think that will move into it. So yippee. It is but, It is funny, like, being in the... You have to wait a year. It's like, oh, now, now there is a pick we can yeah. trade in the future as long as it's completely really, unprotected. Yeah, really far down the line. Um, yeah. But yeah, they don't they don't have much like for, like draft picks to trade. That they have a 2023 second round pick uh coming in which will be Charlotte unless Atlanta really goes off the rails. That might have a little bit of value, but you really don't have much to trade. They don't have he specifically asked about the Al Horford trade exception that has expired. You get a year to use that. That pick happened or that trade happened there in what what was that? December October? 2020. Didn't it take a while to get finalized though wasn't it december 2020 whatever we're yeah you're you're well beyond that um so that is that is gone i do not believe they have any other trade exceptions to utilize and really pretty much anyone at this point can be aggregated the only people who wouldn't have been able to were people signed in the offseason those all of those would have been come off the books there in 20 in december 15th there is a second window of january 15th but that's only if you used bird rights to yeah, I, I think pretty much anyone can be aggregated right now, is uh, the short of it. I don't think there's anyone under that restriction. So you, you player wise, you have flexibility of trading. Whether you want to aggregate, you know, someone like even someone like the Anthony Melton, who I think you absolutely shouldn't, but he right now could be aggregated. Matisse, Furkan, you can aggregate some salaries. You just don't have really much to entice anyone with. Putting a new meaning of don't aggregate this. Yes. On, uh, yes. The. Uh, I guess one other thing, this is kind of probably more your purview, but like what should be exciting or interesting to look at moving into the new year, uh, Tyrese Maxey's contract situation. Hmm. That's a big one. Yep. It's a massive one. It's a massive one. Um, All right. This one here from friend of the pod, Nate Duncan. If the only consideration were having the best possible playoff result this season do you start Maxi Melton or both? You know, I think the the more I think about this, because I look as much, as much as I was pushing back on you about the the lineups and stuff like that. I think the the ideal setup is you know Harden and Embiid in the regular season. You know, whatever mid thirties, low thirties minutes, whatever it is, and a strict stagger of the two of them. So if they are playing less time together. Then I think the the conversation of, okay, maybe Melton should play those minutes becomes a little more interesting to me. Um, just because, you know, you're not playing a ton of time with them. You would want defense. We assume that a lot of those minutes, at least early in the game, are going to be against the other team's top scorers. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a real question moving forward. I, I guess I, I didn't really think going into the season that uh, – Harden and Maxi as a backcourt would kind of have to prove themselves this much to me, but I don't know. I, I think Melton has played well enough where I think that is a uh, a reasonable question on uh, on who to start and then like who to close. Like I, I think that's more of a situational thing. Yeah. I, I but I, I guess the other thing Nate brought up there too, which I think is becoming more and more interesting when you like look if we're if we're being honest here, PJ Tucker. Uh, there are more and more matchups where, unless he's really kind of leaning on somebody and really kind of 
playing that KD Giannis type defense that he was in those single matchups earlier in the year, getting him off the court is becoming more and more uh, enticing, intriguing to me because he's just so bad on offense. He's so bad, man. Like there's like, there's three possessions every night where I'm just like, what are you doing? And, And there are times when, you know, Embiid is drawing help and like the only way PJ Tucker is helping when when Embiid draws help and the ball swings to the weak side is when he sets a flare screen for somebody. And that's just, I I don't know if that can be, it's like the Matisse thing where, you know, can he be in the dunker spot? Can he be a good screener? That's not enough. You have to be able to make those shots. And I know he's made a couple over, you know, the past couple nights. And sometimes he makes three and you're like, why can't you just do that more? Why can't you just take that shot and, you know, hop up and down eight times and it goes in 40% of the time. Uh, so I I guess to answer Nate's question, I, I don't exactly know what the right answer is, but it's it's much more of a question than I thought it would be um, for two reasons, because of the small backcourt and also because P.J. has kind of been underwhelming earlier in the year. Yeah, well, I think the small backcourt, especially defensively, I think we had our questions coming in. I don't think we expected them to show up this much in the regular season. I think we thought that was going to be more of a postseason concern or a matchup-dependent concern rather than a night-to-night concern. But... The only real reason I would have any kind of a thought on this would be just because, because I don't think you're, well, I mean, to be fair, I would like to cut Harden's minutes back by three or four per game. I don't think he would be up for it, but I would like to do that. I'd even like to cut Maxi's minutes back when he's at full strength a couple of games. Again, just for keeping him fresh. And if you're going to have to play the, the two munchkins together, it might be easier to get away with that when you're doing that against another team's backup units, or at least mixed in with some backup units rather than doing it at the start of the first and third quarters every game. That being said, I think the more likely thing is starting Melton for Tucker. Even if it means going to a really small backcourt, I would rather have a really small backcourt and have more shooting and ball handling and getting out on the break and just, all just, that stuff. Just try to outscore teams and be fast. Yeah, rather than this sort of like mismatch of players that don't really accomplish either too consistently. I would probably now again. Yeah. I mean, starting that's... five hasn't really played all that much together. So maybe we should give it a little more time. I think it's probably more PJ that would have me changing the starting lineup, at which case it would be starting the three guards together. But I think it's uh, you know, I, I do. There is a small part of me that wonders, not as saying you should do it, but that wonders whether or not just having the, uh, Harden maxi minutes come against a team's second unit, or at least some mix of a second unit, would be easier to mitigate their defensive liability. Yeah, and and the speed element is an important thing. As I look up that uh that group that we just talked about, uh the the small backcourt, you know, inserting Melton for Tucker has played all of eight possessions this year <laughs> per uh per Cleveland Glass. But yeah, I mean conceptually, look, it's it's super small, and that's a worry, but I, I guess the positive on that is you have shooting all over the place mm-hmm. and you have three runners with Harden and Embiid too. Like Tobias is a runner. Uh, Melton and Maxi are both runners as well. So you could get some easy transition buckets. Yeah. It's funny. Cause remember earlier in the year we talked about, okay, Melton is the perfect piece because he blends with both, uh, with both Maxi and Harden and you want him playing on the backup units. It's kind of funny. Like what if you, rearranged Maxi as that person where yeah. you know he fits with Melton of course all the time and he fits with Harden more on backup units. Yeah, and you know, it's like you said, like that's one way that you definitely could at least conceptually both stagger, go with the strict stagger for Embiid and uh and Harden while also limiting their minutes if Maxi yeah. is playing a lot of of bench time. So I don't know. You know, it's it just comes back to like is it actually feasible? Like, is it, I, I'm not saying Tyrese Maxey's like, I need to start at all times, but just because he's very of, important and very well thought of. Yep. Because of his status and, and what he's done over the past few years. And I, I really I don't, don't want to like, when we talk about the bench, like if he's playing, what's he playing on the year? 36 minutes. I don't even know. I should have it up. I don't have it. It's a lot. I'm not talking about dropping him. Like I think a lot when people think of like six men, they think of like 25 minutes. Nobody in the world is talking about doing that. So there's still going to be a lot of time where Maxi and Harden are going to have to play together. You still want him playing at a minimum 34 minutes per game. It's just where do those minutes come from? It's a it's a question. I think the bigger concern is right now PJ. 
And I, quite honestly, give that dude a month off. We've said this a million times. You need him to be a 16, you know, 16 game player. Get him ready for those 16 games. Because he's not, he's not, he's not helping you enough right now where you go, oh man, I can't lose PJ for 10 games. Like, that's not where we're at right now. Considering he's playing all of his minutes with the the top guys too, it's like, I don't know. Like, as much as I don't like Matisse playing with those top guys, like, uh, Harden and Embiid are good. I don't know. Like, you'll, you'll yeah. be fine. Like, you know, if they'll make it through January with, you know, Niang, Matisse, and House playing those minutes. Like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah. last one here from Francis Parker. What do you make of Dave Early, uh, LibertyBallers.com? Theory that the Sixers could benefit from doing more to empower Harden on offense. He had a, Dave Early had a long article on this. Again, go check it out, libertyballers.com. Uh, but he, you know, tailoring the offense more to to play off of Harden's strengths. Um, I, no, I think, I, I mean, I, I kind of like Harden's hybrid role right now. And, you know, maybe that's, and, and that's kind of what, Dave's point was like, I, I think maybe on the backup units, you tailor that more to Harden. Yeah. You know, you play the That's five out. That's my answer to this. If you want to empower Harden more, play him, like s- stagger them more aggressively, give him more minutes without Joel and, and let him cook. Uh, that I, I don't think you empower him by running more of the offense outside of more pick and rolls. Sure. More Embiid, Harden pick and rolls. But outside of that, like, I don't think you want a Harden ISO fest when Embiid's on the floor. No, no, I certainly don't. Uh, I want them but, running pick and roll and him passing the ball to Joel at the yeah, front line. Yeah, but that's why I give him when first of all sit and bead for more than ten minutes a game, sit him for thirteen minutes per game, and give Harden all thirteen of those minutes to go to work, rather than four of those minutes. Yeah, I, I just wish they had a normal backup center that just caught lobs and was like, just caught lobs and just was like stood straight up on defense. Yeah. You know. That would make it so much better. Yeah. Because uh, now you're at the point where it's like, all right, you're gonna play Trez and. Did you just did you just describe Charles Bassey? I think you just described Charles Bassey. Yeah, uh, I did. I will. Um, Sixers net rating right now with Embiid and Harden, plus nine point four. Neither of them on the floor negative six negative fifteen point eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they. I I don't know. It, it's just tough because I think empowering them more offensively means. Hemorrhaging points defensively as well. Uh, but yeah. look, I, look, the team is is what it is at uh, at this point. Like, I, I still think PJ at the five is like probably going to be their best chance come playoff time, even though that has not worked at all. Uh, no, but it, it's been a while since we've seen it. Yeah, at least in large doses. Yeah. So I don't know. I would give that a shot again. Which is again why you got to get PJ back on track. That pinched nerve. Like, sit that guy down. Sit yeah. him down for a bit. Even if it just means like him not playing while the, like, cause maybe rest won't fix the pinched nerve, but like if the pinched nerve is causing him to second guess himself and get in his head, then it can be disruptive too. Like just sit his ass down. I, I guess my general point though with Harden is that like empowering him is like, I don't think that's that hard, you know, like he has the ball in his hands a ton anyway. Like he empowering him is like putting him into the game almost, uh, you know, and, He's going to play a certain style of basketball. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, like I, I think if, if you want to try and run the the Houston offense when Embiid is sitting down, he, as much as James's kind of inability to get by people has, has frustrated me at times this year, like it's clearly one of your better options. And, yeah. and you know what? It, it might have some positive effects if he can, you know, channel that scoring into small doses when, uh, when Joel plays as well. So. I guess that's my my general thought on it, and you know I think that's probably the uh, the unifying theme of this podcast: stagger them and uh, play them less minutes. Let's see here. James Harden is shooting has an effective field goal percentage of fifty six percent and a true shooting of sixty three point six percent with a thirty two percent usage in two hundred forty nine minutes without Joel Embiid on the floor. That's really still efficient basketball. Mm-hmm. When you're asking him to lead a lot of offense with him beat off the floor, and I think part of the you know question of can you ramp up his because he's only shooting like I think like 42 percent or something alongside of Joel Embiid, it's it's much lower. Can you ask him to have that kind of usage when Embiid's on the floor? Not only because Embiid is the better option, but you know a, a while back he made that comment that. 
Well, he he he's not getting by guys because there is a big in the lane because of basically because of Joel because it's not a five out or because it's not a lob threat. And I think that's I, I think that's James glossing over the fact that he's lost a step or two. I don't think he's getting by guys a lot, no matter who the big is. But I do think having Embiid's defender there makes that problem worse. Like if he is, he, he's always played better with a five out or a lob threat. That's always been true. That's true when he was in his prime. And now that he's lost two steps, it's still true because even if he can make those series of three or four misdirection moves to get in the dribble or to get in the lane off the dribble, it doesn't really matter because there's more defenders in there. He needs a clear paint. He he benefits if he's going to be a high usage scoring threat. Scoring. From a, yeah. a, right. From a clear paint or open floor. So yes, I don't really want to see his usage ramped up because his usage rate with Joel Embiid from 32% without Joel Embiid down to 22% when Embiid's on the floor. I don't think the answer there is to ramp that up too much higher with Embiid on the floor. I don't think you want him with a 32% usage rate when he's playing alongside Embiid. Maybe 24, maybe 25, sure. We can play the edges there. But I think it's just maximizing his time without Embiid so he can play that style of play, so he can play that five out or that roll man, even though your roll man right now is, you know, Montrez Harrell. I think you I I think maximizing Harden comes down to maximizing his minutes without Embiid on the floor. You know, it's funny. Look, looking at Harden's career, he is a very consistent 37, 36% three-point shooter. It's always yeah. in that area, which is kind of crazy considering how he difficulty is. And yeah, and he's, and, he's yeah. always juicing up the difficulty, and now he can't really get by guys easily. Still there, 37%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll take that step back 27-footer with a hand in my face, and hey, it goes in, and he gets fouled on it too. It's amazing. He's, it's he's amazing. made, I think, at least one in like, I would say five over the past, I don't know, week and a half that have just been like absolute bombs <laughs> like, like from the logo. And he's yeah. like confidently letting that thing go. And it does not feel like that bad of a shot when he takes yeah. it. So No, th- that might be the biggest difference between this year and last year is that shot, that one shot. And it's weird, too, that he's th- – th- I guess the other reason why I think the 37% thing is weird, his misses can be terrible sometimes, yeah. too. You know, he's like one of those guys where it's like – the year, he had like a couple where he completely shook the defender, he fell to the floor, stepped back, and airball. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then he pures one where he's completely guarded. Like, he's guarded and, like, he's got no momentum going towards the basket yep. at all. He's got – yeah. I don't know. That's weird funny. Player. Yeah, weird, weird player. Yeah, weird player. But, you know, gets you to that 37 36%. All right, I think that is uh, probably all that I have. Rich, have a great new year, and we will see you in 2023. See you, man.